Anybody else notice that as you get older, things don't work quite like they used to? Yeah, uh, so uh, if you've heard of plantar fasciitis, anybody had a season with that where your foot, if you're a runner, basketball player, so I've had this chronic plantar fasciitis for a long time in my foot. Well, they, I discovered in, upon research and self-personal uh, experience that uh, you can actually rupture your plantar fascia. So that, that tendon that runs the length of your foot can actually tear. I discovered yesterday playing basketball and uh, I went for a loose ball, and I didn't even save it. And, uh, and, uh, and so that's what I'm dealing with here this morning. So I've got to not put weight on that for a few weeks. And so uh, you can pray for my recovery. That'd be great. So I'm going to be sitting on the bench, but thankfully, uh, or hopefully, my brain still works, though my foot doesn't. Let me pray before we dive in. God, thank you so much for this chance to be together in your house, and so good to worship you already this morning and just thinking about that this morning the privilege that that is and the freedom that we have to gather and and celebrate you and uh, that's my hope that that's already happened this morning we want everything to put the spotlight on you and including the teaching of your word and so I ask now that you'd work through this text that you'd speak to us directly that it wouldn't be for the person down the row in Jesus Christ's name amen well, we're in uh, Romans still, and uh, looking at Romans 15, if you wouldn't mind turning with me there, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair in front of you that you're welcome to use. If you don't own a Bible, you can have that Bible. But we're going to be working through the first 13 verses of this chapter, and uh, excited to do that. But as I was thinking about the topic, and you can see the, the title there on the screen, I'm titling it Kingdom Living. One of the thing that, things that fascinated me with Jesus Christ was in his teaching and in his time here interacting with people, how often he talked about the kingdom of God. I was looking that up in 53 different times in the Gospels, he mentioned the kingdom of God. Over 120 times he mentions the kingdom. And so this was a, a, a hot topic. It was as if he was wanting people to see that there's another way to do this. There's another way to do this. The, the earthly kingdoms are missing the boat in so many different arenas. And so it was kind of like, you got to trust me, there's a better way to do this. So he would talk often about his kingdom, the kingdom where love and peace mark its citizens, a kingdom where it's more blessed to give than receive, a kingdom where you actually submit to the sovereign king. And this kingdom that he described as something is an invitation for each one of us. And it's not just an invitation for us to someday be in, because that's if we've embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that's where we're headed to be under this king and in this kingdom. But in the meantime, he also invites us to live as if we're currently in the kingdom. Do you remember when he was explaining to the disciples how to pray? What did, what did he say to them in the prayer? He said, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the invitation for us is to start living as if we're in the kingdom as citizens of the kingdom of God. But here's the challenge and the obstacle that we face is that we're still physically on a planet that does things very different and thinks very differently about how the kingdom should operate. Have you guys noticed this? I don't know if you've heard before of Barna Research. Have you heard of Barna Research? They do a lot of research on culture, cultural trends, do a lot of research on the, the church. Well, one of their, their studies, their research, they discovered a, a, an obstacle to what we're going to see in our text this morning 
that 63% of Americans think that the main purpose of their life is their enjoyment and personal fulfillment. That, for many of us, doesn't shock us. Even Chad mentioned this morning the, the tug that we have in this world to be our own self-God. It happened ever since the fall. We assumed that life was about me. And so for the American culture, that's the way that they think and that's the way that they act. Maybe you've noticed that in the world around us. But here's the concerning piece is in that same study, so 63% of Americans, 50% of those proclaiming to be Christ followers believe the exact same thing, that life, that, that life is about my personal enjoyment and fulfillment. For those of us, if we're honest, those of us in here, if we're honest, that thinking does sneak in. We start to assume that, well, this is about me. I, everybody else is living for me. Why, why wouldn't I live? But here's the problem. Here's the obstacle. That goes exactly, directly the opposite way that the kingdom of God is set up. We see it all over the New Testament. Philippians 2, 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. There's an obvious tension when you're like, wait, I'm living for me and my fulfillment and my happiness, but the kingdom of God is about serving others and meeting others' needs. Do you see the obstacle there? Well, in our text this morning, there's an additional obstacle because he talks about that life is not about just about pleasing myself. Let's take a look in verse 1 of chapter 15 at what I'm referring to. I hear Jesus saying, you got to trust me, there's a better way to live. This is the first of five points about expectations for kingdom living. And the first one, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. If you were here last, we, we talked quite a bit about this topic, the idea of being concerned about others, being sensitive to other people's need. In this context, he brings up two different groups. Who are they? Strong, weak. He points to two different groups. The, the strong that he's referring to in this context would be referring to those who enjoy the different, the different freedoms that we have in Christ, those who understand that nothing is unclean in itself. This is a little bit of a recap from last week. If you don't understand that, you can listen online. But here he's introducing the other side to that is the weaker person, the person that's maybe a little more hypersensitive about with their conscience that it's not necessarily rooted in God's word in their belief system. So that person, he's saying, because of that, there's going to be some moments of tension between the two where one feels freedom to do what they want, the other feels tension because of an oversensitive conscience. And so who is supposed to give way to the other in that situation? The weak needs to just step it up and get their act together. No, that's not what the text says. It says that the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. So for us to understand this, it's not for us that are maybe stronger in our faith. And the wonderful thing about this, this conversation is that the message is for everybody because there's always somebody weaker than you and you're probably in many scenarios, you are the strong person or maybe in some you're the, the, weak, the weak brother. 
but either way, relevant for both. It points out the, the, the tug that we feel from this earthly kingdom that's to constantly please myself. And he's saying, no, you're to look at pleasing others, to look to build them up rather than me. This goes against the grain. This is so unnatural. But he says, says in the text, that's what Jesus did. That's what his, his model, that's what he represented for us. And he's, he, he's real clear to make sure we understand that even when we do that, that doesn't mean that life's going to be easy or always liked. He quotes Psalm 69 when he describes that the reproaches of everyone still fell on him. Even with his best attempt, Jesus living the perfect life, there are still people that didn't really like what he did, didn't really like what he said. So important to understand that this has to be control with what's within your control. There's some things that you're like, I can't really do anything about that. This is though talking about being sensitive to those around us, being sensitive to those around us. I grew up during the kind of what you describe as the worship wars in church world, if you remember this. There's a, I don't know if there's anybody else that grew up with the big, big old piano or the pipe organ. Do you remember anybody in a church that had a pipe organ? Those are sweet. And uh, there's this, the, the years and years between the kind of the older generation that was accustomed to that. You guys know about the worship wars. And the, the newer generation that wanted to introduce something very controversial, drums and guitar. This was a serious, if you're not around the church for a long time, this was a serious tension point. Remember, I was working at one church, and I talked to the pastor that had been there quite a while, and I said, you know, how did you guys work through that? How did you guys solve that? He said, well, we had these, like, town hall meetings. Maybe you grew up in these churches, too, where you'd get together, and he said it would get pretty heated, the debates and the discussion. He said, but it's so weird because it all got settled on one individual night. Individual night, an elderly man within the church, really old, wrinkly guy, stood up, uh, stood up in the in the the meeting and said, "You know what I think?" He said, "I think at some point it has to not be about my preferences any longer." He's like, "Wow, that's pretty convicting." He said that was really the the end of the conversation because he set the tone. He said, "As the maybe as the stronger brother on this disputable issue, I'm going to allow the next generation." to have some different thoughts on this, to have some different opinions. That's showing concern for others. I was impressed with that. Interacting with grace and sensitivity because we are surrounded with people that think very differently than we do. Next point that he brings up, seeking instruction from Scripture. It says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I've always been fascinated with the way God chose to design things here on this planet. He brought us here with the mind that really, if we're thinking about a child, just has the bare essentials needed to barely survive. Some people are always talk about how impressed they are with how much little kids know. I'm usually just the opposite. I'm, I'm impressed with how little they know and still survive. Anybody else in that camp? You're like, you're like, what in the world? Like, do I have to tell you everything? Yes. And so the way that God designed us is we're, we, we come out and we're, we're basically just have just the bare minimum of knowledge needed to exist on this planet. I remember when I was uh, made the move from, in, from kind of a, 
I guess you'd say dumb phone to smartphone. So I always had BlackBerry phones. Anybody remember the BlackBerry? Maybe they still make them. I remember I was introduced to the iPhone for the very first time. I'm sorry if you haven't had that experience. I'm trying to be sensitive as the weaker brother. But, uh, but, but here, here's, what, here's the thing that was so impressive. First off, it actually worked. You know, like that was the first thing that was mind-boggling. You're like, oh, this is so simple to work through it. It makes sense to me. And then you discovered you could also download apps. Apps were fascinating. You mean, it, I came with this phone that had some basic knowledge, but then when you start introducing apps, I can see the weather. Now, they guess on that, but still, the, the weather, like, you're, I can transfer money. I can, I can do this and that. All the crazy things that you can do with apps, you're like, man, thank the Lord that you can download more and more and more. And the same is true with the way our minds work. We have a base knowledge that's pretty impressive, but the truth is, we have to choose what we're going to download, what information we're going to add to the pretty narrow pot that's already there. You see in the text, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. In other words, it was written for us to take in, to absorb, to take, to take spots that aren't filled and fill them in. The problem is, in this kingdom, the kingdom of this world, People have the mentality of, I'm just going to learn it and figure it out myself. I'm going to do it myself. Through my experience, through my understanding, I'm the self-God. I'm going to do it myself. When he's saying, no, these stories, and he refers to, when he's referring to, he's talking about the Old Testament because it's former days. He says, these stories were written so that you could learn from them. Instruction, the smart person, gleams from others' experiences. And that's what exactly the Old Testament is, story after story of how this person dealt with this situation, how they blew it, how, how this folly led to even more folly. And it's packed with great knowledge for us. My question for us is, where are you gathering your information? We already know the truth is that you didn't come filled up so where are you filling up? He's saying that we're, that we're to, through endurance in the encouragement of the scripture, we become, we have hope. To me, that I found a, a encouraging as well, that it was, says that through endurance. That's what we're supposed to approach scripture with endurance. Because for me, sometimes, and this is true confessions as a pastor, sometimes you can read God's word, and if we're honest with yourself, you're like, man... Maybe it's where I'm at personally, maybe where it's just where my head's at, but I'm, I'm just not getting a lot right now. Confession time. Have you ever had that moment where you're just like, man, this, this is just taking endurance. This is duty that leads maybe to delight. But the truth, what he's pointing to is through that endurance comes encouragement and hope. On the other side of this, how many times for those of you that have faithfully stayed in the word, have said on the other end of it, you're like, man, that's the encouragement that I needed right now in this moment. That's the hope that I didn't have before seeing this text. That's the, that's the piece that was missing in this equation of me trying to figure out life. That's how God works through his word, but it takes effort on our part, and it's a little different than the kingdoms of this world, seeking instruction from Scripture. Next one, verse 5, pursuing harmony with each other. 
says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with, Jesus, with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that I noticed there is that in the last section, you were called to endurance and encouragement. Right now we see, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony. The encouraging thing is, he's saying, I'm calling you to this, but I am this. So he's the, he's, the, he's the one that's proposing how we're to live, but he's saying, I'm the one that gives you the ability to live that. I'm the one that is the source of your encouragement. I am the one that's the source of your endurance. So he asks for it, but then also provides it. And that's true with the next thing that he introduces as well. He invites us in kingdom living to move towards harmony with one another. Harmony with one another. And let's be honest, sometimes that's kind of hard. Sometimes that's kind of hard because why? Because people think very differently than we do. Like if you look at the person next to you, they think very differently on a lot of things than you did. Are you aware of that? Are you aware of that? Does your spouse think very differently than you on a lot of things? Yes. Yes, that's part of it. That's why he calls us to harmony. But harmony doesn't mean uniformity. Unity comes when the essential, when we uh, unite on the, the essentials, but it's okay that we agree that the non-essentials are non-essentials. So it's, it's important to, say, to understand like harmony comes, but sometimes it's being like, okay, we agree on this, that's where the unity is, but we also agree that these are non-essential things, and it's okay that we're not the same on that. That's key. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how important that is to understand and getting along with each other. But what I find imp- impressive here in verse 5 and 6 is that, again, this isn't something that fall, all of the weight of this falls on our backs, this harmony thing. Because sometimes you feel like, man, I, I can't get it worked out. I can't figure it out. You notice in this text that this is a prayer of Paul. He's saying, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. So again, not dependent on our own strength. He's saying, please God, may you grant them this harmony. Are you tracking with me? In other words, sometimes as much as you want it, you can't bring harmony in a situation. Some of us need to be just showed up just this morning just to hear that, that you can't fix it on your own. You can't solve it. There's certain issues that you're like, you know what? This has gotten out of, out of my hands. This is, in fact, every situation we should come to that conclusion. This is out of my hands. I'm dependent on him. And think about how many times God has gone as your advocate behind the scenes. You're like, man, I don't know how that got worked out. I don't know how that heart got softened. I don't know how that got resolved. But thankfully, he's the one that grants harmony if we ask for it. We see it there. That's such a, a wonderful reminder that we're not in this together. He, I think he stays involved because there's a lot at stake here. You see what the purpose is. So that with one voice, with one voice, we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we can't be yielding this gospel message when we're separated from each other because the gospel message is 
unity, having our relationship with God restored. We can't have severed relationships and be, be like, let me tell you about the God that restores relationships. Do you see how that doesn't make sense? You're like, you're like, no, in order for us to actually do that well, yield the gospel message, the hope of Jesus Christ, we have to get this unity, this harmony thing right. And the encouraging thing is we're not in this alone. And it doesn't mean that we're just trying to do it without, uh, I just want to be able to just get along with, with other believers and just not bicker. Sometimes I find myself talking to my kids because they make a lot of noise in the back seat. Any parent with young kids understands this. As you're driving, you find yourself a little annoyed. And sometimes, this is confession time here, sometimes I use this statement. I say, why don't you guys all be quiet, stop bickering, and pretend like you like each other? Have you guys, a parent, ever said that before? Pretend like you like each other. I'm like, you know, some people, moms are, are sliding down in their seats right now as I speak. But, but here's the truth of this. That statement is what sometimes I think we think our responsibility is. Just be quiet and pretend like we like each other. Like within the body of Christ. And he's saying, no, I've called you to weigh more than, more than that. Look at verse 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's faithfulness in order, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. If you're like me, you've probably noticed that the, the church gets a bad rap for being known as being pretty exclusive. Wouldn't you say that? Have you heard that before? You're like, man, you're, you're not real accepting. You're kind of exclusive. In some degree, that accusation is to a degree accurate because we're exclusive in the, in the sense that we see only one way to God. We're exclusive in the sense that we believe that, you know, by, by no other name is someone saved other than by the name of Jesus Christ. So that can give us a, a, a tint or, or a, a, a faint uh, glimpse of like, man, they seem a little bit exclusive. But primarily, what we're called to is we're called to a life of being inclusive. That means this gospel message that we have, he's pointing to, is for every single person. Your eyes have never landed on somebody that the invitation isn't extended to. Though the way is narrow, the invite is broad. The invite is extremely broad. Now, we talked about in a series a little bit earlier about predestination. You can look that up and you can, we can wrestle through that. Not necessarily fun to, to, to try to solve. But the truth in the summary is, is that still Jesus died for providing the opportunity for every person on this planet. It doesn't matter who you're engaging with. That's why he says, man, I want you to include everyone. I want you to welcome everyone into the mix. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Last week, I told the story of uh, calling an AT&T representative trying to get my bill corrected. Do you guys remember that? I was telling that. It was kind of neat because it ended up in a, in a spiritual conversation with this, this woman, more so her sharing about how she's just passionate about the Lord and sharing her faith. And I was like, man, that was pretty cool. But I was talking to my, my friend who's always great at upping me on one thing, my friend Joe. He's telling, telling me the story. He's like, oh yeah, he said, that's awesome. I forgot to tell you the story. Last week, I called AT&T. 
I was like, get out of here. And he's like, no, really. He's like, he's like I called AT&T. I talked to this guy on the phone. The guy started sharing about his life and all the, the trials and obstacles. He says, an hour and a half later, I prayed with the guy on the phone to accept Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. I was like, man, you always outdo me. And, uh, and here, but it reminded me of the fact that, man, what if we had the goggles on in our day to see every single person that we come across, the AT&T person, the person that's dropping off the FedEx, the person that's bringing your Hinkley water to your, to your office, the person, like, I don't know, what if we started seeing everybody as like, they're all invited. That's the inclusive community that he's called us to. And the wonderful thing that he sees in this, that he, that, that he points to, is that as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, it's all this. The more inclusive we become, the more glory God gets. Why? Because that was always his intention. It was always his plan to unite the Jews, the Gentiles. That was always part of the plan. And you don't understand, when we're reading this today, that seems like, oh yeah, the Jews and Gentiles singing together, worshiping, that's, that's pretty cool. In that day, that was unheard of. That was straight up crazy talk. What do you mean? We're, like the Jews saw the Gentiles, they referred to them as dogs. The Gentiles hated the Jews. I mean, it was like for him to be saying, hey, we're going to all worship together. This is going to be great. Like, uh, I don't think so. I don't think, I don't think that's a real good idea. But, but that's, the, that's what he's called us to. That kind of inclusive community that takes separation and says, man, I'm bringing you all together, worshiping underneath the same God. And you see in the next section that this gets them pretty uh, fired up. Look at verse 10. It says, and again, it's, and again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I've only had a, a few opportunities in my life to speak at different African-American churches, but I'll say that is one of my absolute favorite things to do. You see, the, the cultural norm there is a little more participation with a pastor speaking. So as you present something that's even moderately insightful, the, 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 the folks are saying, that's right, you're right, amen, like getting behind it. And before you know it, you're getting into it. You're standing up with a bad foot. You're like, you're like man, I'm, I'm ready to go here. You get passionate about it. I kind of get that feel that's with Paul. Like as he's talking, look at this again in the, in the section. He says, and again it is said rejoice. Verse 12, and again Isaiah says, verse 11, and again praise the Lord. Like he, he's getting fired up the more he talks about this picture of us all united worshiping God. He can't help the passion. He's saying, listen, this is such an awesome thing. Even Isaiah was talking about it a couple thousand years ago, and it's actually happening in our lifetime. You can see why he'd get pretty jazzed about the idea. It's always been God's plan to take the people of Israel, to be the, the tool and the instrument that brings the gospel to the entire world so that both Jews, Gentiles, everyone, even this English, Irish, German, Serbian, and American 
Indian person that lived in Chicago. That's me. That's my, my nationality mix. I'm kind of a mutt. And, uh, and so even this guy, the plan was to bring us all together, and that's really good news. That's really good news. The idea of us collectively praising him, that's the picture that he's saying. That, and he ends with this very uh, like powerful verse. I'd love to see you guys end your emails with this. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Abound is not a, a word we use very often anymore. I, I looked it up and the, the word abound actually by definition means very plentiful, very plentiful. I like that idea, abounding in hope. I was with my family quite a bit this week. My sister is visiting from out of town, so we usually get together and spend some time just chatting and sharing stories. And we're in a fun season because usually in our stories, I mean, we're just sharing and everybody's cracking up, laughing, especially my sister you hear right now. And, uh, and, so, and, and so we're all laughing and having a good time, but we're in a fun season because our kids, our youngest kids, are finally getting to the age where they start to engage and come on into the conversation even adding an occasional joke. It's to the, one of my greatest joys is looking around and seeing, if you guys are parents, you can maybe remember this, for the first time seeing your kids like legit cracking up like full on. Like yesterday we were at, at my sister's house, uh, Chris, and my, my daughter Alexa was just head back, like just cracking up laughing. Then I look over, there's Chase cracking up. He's doing some weird snorts. And, and then, 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 Sienna, then Sienna's cracking up. I was like, man, everybody is abounding in laughter. They're full of it. They're full of it. What if, what if? The world around us started to see the church, the kingdom, where we're just abounding with hope. You're just like, man, are, are you, do you never have a bad day? Uh-uh, man, I am full of hope. I'm, I, I, I'm full of joy. I, I'm full of peace. Yeah, I, I can't help it. It's contagious. I'll tell you what, the world would take notice. If we were cracking up laughing, I don't know if that, would, that might go across kind of weird. Uh, but you get the idea. You get the picture, this abounding idea. Abounding in hope is what we're invited to. And that's what kingdom living looks like. That's what kingdom living looks like. One last thing I want to point to in that verse 13. It says, So that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. It points to the power source in this. So all of this, whether he's calling us to endurance, whether he's calling us to harmony, whether he's calling us to hope, he's saying, I've got the source for all of it. I, th th this kingdom, you're not on your own trying to figure it out. I'm the power source that allows you to be concerned about each other. I'm the power source that, that allows you to seek Truth from Scripture with endurance. I'm the power source that allows you to pursue harmony even when those around you disagree. I'm the power source that allows you to fight to be inclusive. I'm the power source that allows you to join together in collective praise. That's what he's given us. He's called us to the kingdom, but then he said, I'm giving you the ability to do all this. What an awesome God we have. What an awesome invitation. To me, that sounds like a kingdom 
I want to be a part of. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this word and just how practical it is. And the picture that you paint is so compelling. Why would we ever want to go back to selfish living? Those of us that have lived a self-consumed life have come to the same exact conclusion that it doesn't work. It doesn't matter how much we chase down stuff. It doesn't matter how much we try to entertain ourselves. It just doesn't seem to fill that hole. I picture you, God. I picture Jesus saying, man, you've got to trust me on this. I know so much better for you. My hope is this morning that we would trust in you, God. We ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us, to enable us to have that trust. Say, you know what, I'm done with, kingdom, with earthly living. I'm heading towards kingdom living. I'm trusting you, not my own knowledge. Thank you for your grace and your patience with us in the meantime. We love you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. I'm not going to hobble back up on that step, but I just want to encourage you this week. Just a couple of reminders as you're leaving for family photos or photos for the directory as you're leaving today. Blood drives happening. And then especially if you're newer to our church, we'd be thrilled to have you come to our newcomer's lunch. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you.